Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the British Wrestling Experience here on Post Wrestling. I'm your host, Jamesy, and I've given my usual co-hosts, Martin and Benno, a well-deserved night off. In their absence, I'm delighted to welcome a very special guest to the show. He's a man of many talents. He's a legend in the world of podcasting and the host of the ProRes Paradise over at PW Torch. He's the Kent Walton of WXW in Germany. He's a writer for Fighting Spirit magazine. He's one of the most enthusiastic people in wrestling. And most importantly, he's one of my oldest friends in wrestling. Alan Forel, welcome to the show, my friend. I don't know how you could call me the most enthusiastic person in wrestling after you just listened to me be a bitter curmudgeon uh, before we started recording for like 20 minutes <laughs> as I gave out about things to you before we started. That's that's that, that, that's uno- unofficial podcast content, Alan. The, the recording <laughs> button has gone on but, now and we're but full even, of enthusiasm. Even when giving, even when giving out and, uh, and complaining, I'm charming, am I? Absolutely. I should have put that. I should have given you a, a David Starr like um, introduction. Actually, I'll work on that for next time, Alan. Oh, it was you, a you're... lovely. It was a lovely introduction. <laughs> your favorite wrestler's favorite podcaster. <laughs> well, uh, well, are, are me and David Starr best friends, or do we do we have heat? I haven't quite worked out our, our in canon WXW relationship yet. Uh, I think if anyone's watched those WXW videos, I, I think there's a, there's there's a, there's a underneath it all. I think there's a grudging respect. Like you're always yeah, the man yeah. he seeks out, Alan. He never goes to Rico or, or or Andy Jackson. It's always straight to you, Alan. You're his go-to guy. Yeah, I think I think he knows that I, I want what's best for him, and I, I I just want him to to stay in the stay in the lane, stay focused, and uh, and I, I I honestly believe he's got what it takes to beat Walter. I just uh, I, he just needs to keep the head on straight, and I worry <laughs> I worry about him. That's the that's the thing, Jamesy. I worry about the poor fella, and uh, I think he knows that, and I think he just he. We'll get there. We'll get there. It's. A, I think it's going to have a happy moment. I think there'll be confetti. I think there might be a hug. I think it, it, it'll come one of these days. It'll come. And I hope he gives you due credit for keeping his feet on the ground when it does happen, Alan. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what we're gunning for. <laughs> so anyway, WXW aside, we're here today to discuss your latest and sadly your final article for Fighting Spirit magazine, where you went about compiling a list of the 50 best matches to ever happen in the UK. Um, so I suppose we might yeah, have... quite a, quite the uh, quite the when you just like throw it out there like like whoa, <laughs> yeah, that was a task. <laughs> Absolutely, and and that was pretty much my my first question. I suppose like was there a particular? Did you watch a particular match, or or was there a particular thing that you saw that that gave you the idea for the list, or how did the whole idea come about? I suppose there absolutely was actually, and it's funny because it's a match where which has finished quite highly now, but it's one. It's one that really I'm holding the flag for because it's a match that got a lot of not a lot of criticism, but it got some criticism and some people who were kind of just maybe thought it was good, but weren't bowled over by it. Maybe felt it was a bit of a a disappointment compared to previous outings between the two. But it was a match I saw. And when I saw it, I was like, how are more people not talking about this as being a great match? This was fantastic. This was absolutely amazing this is one of the best matches i've seen on british soil ever and i I was trying to think and i was like is that a is that a valid thing to say here is that completely outlandish and then it just kind of got me thinking about what would go into making that claim for something and what those rankings might look like and how much you'd have to factor in and i was like geez that's 
because like you could never take on the greatest 50 matches on American soil or the greatest 50 matches in Japanese soil. Like, I mean, you could put together like your 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 top 50 favorite or whatever, but you could never sit down and trawl through all the footage to find like potential sleeper. It would just be way too mammoth a task. But Britain seemed like a reasonable thing to me. It, It really did. The match in question was, believe it or not, Pete Dunne versus Tyler Bate from, um, I guess it was the end of last year, uh, the unboxing show that Progress did. And it was a fairly long match, much longer than their previous matches they've had against each other. But it was one where they got to kind of showcase all the different things they're good at in terms of just knuckling down and wrestling you got to see tyler doing a bit of flying you got to see real gritty intense mat work you got to see great selling you got to see amazing athleticism you got to see some brawling you got a great finish um i just thought it was a really complete match that showed just how much these two had to offer and it was a match that admittedly the crowd weren't going crazy for but while some people in that crowd have said that they were just like tired or whatever, it it just didn't they weren't feeling it on the night. I do sense that in watching it back on tape there was a lot of people who were just kind of do you know if you were if you'd be watching if like a match in Japan, say like a battle arts or something like that, where yeah. it's more technical and, and the crowd will be the crowd you can kind of feel the intense engagement the crowd has even if they're not making a ton of noise and i mean to me honestly usually that noise when it comes to big progress matches is songs and chants and all that kind of stuff which is great but that's more reflective of the crowd having energy rather than anything to do with the match um because i think this is bell to bell like if you mute the crowd i think this is as good as pretty much any progress match i'd seen it just for whatever reason at that point in the night the crowd didn't have the energy and they weren't doing their songs and doing their chants which honestly i could do without sometimes i just really enjoyed i just really enjoyed the pure wrestling match with a sense of uh, a sense of pretty decent appreciation from most of the people in the crowd and just real gritty edge to it it just really made me think about other great matches in Britain and um, where this might actually stack against them. And I put it in the back of my mind as something to, to pitch to Brian um, at some point this year. And the timing was right when I pitched it to him. And uh, he was saying he was looking for the, the annual summer list where they do. They've done different things like best SummerSlam matches or di- different things over the years. They've done top 50s of it during the summer. And there was nothing slotted in for this year. So I uh, I had good timing with that. And Brian gave me to go ahead about maybe three months ago. So at that point, I just turned up, turned up the gears in terms of uh, watching as much footage, breaking out old DVDs, tracking things down, looking for looking for World of Sport matches. And we'll get we'll get into it because World of Sport is obviously something you really have to you really have to factor into something like this. You can't just completely ignore it. It's, it's such a huge part of British wrestling history. And I, I know from the 
stuff we've done, Jamesy, on my my previous show, the DKP, mm-hmm. where yeah. where we educated ourselves on world of sports and different greats from that era. Like, I know there was some absolutely awesome matches that would, would absolutely finish in this list. So it was kind of a case of tracking them down again, but also trying to find out as much other stuff that was out there, see what had been recommended by people who were experts in, in that era. Um, people like John Lister. Um, yeah, just trying to gather as much of a watch list as I could, as well as going on my own knowledge going into it. And I really do think I was able to cover all the bases. Like I, I'd stand, I'd really stand by this list in terms of you might agree or disagree with different things. And there'll be some matches that seem wildly high to people. There'll be matches that seem wildly low to people. But the one thing I don't think anyone can criticize is that I've ignored any aspect of British wrestling that's made tape because I gave it all a chance. I was, I was going back and watching some, um, some like weird, like nineties stuff. And, uh, FWA in the early two thousands and finding God. like finding things just so I could completely rule them out, you know, just, yeah, just to yeah, make yeah. sure those stones were unturned and just say, yeah, no, I don't need to consider, don't need to consider this. It was utter dreck. Um, but, uh, and, but as well, you'd, you'd find things that held up better. And there were many matches that held up better than I was expecting. I was like, Whoa, or matches that I might not have thought of as much of at the time. And I went back and watched them, and I was like, "Whoa, Jesus, that's that is something else." And uh, I need to factor it in. So um, there was no lack of effort here. There was no lack of um, trying to. And I consulted with as many people as possible that uh, that I that I knew would be able to help. Um, people like yourself, um, people like uh, 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 Ben Britt Wrestleway days, who I know had been to like every show under the sun across the. <laughs> across uh, the UK for the last like 15, 20 years or whatever it's been. Um, Mark Buckleby, um, another person who's seen his fair share of shows um, and and different people who I just knew had a good knowledge of, of this stuff and would be able to see if I was missing out on anything. And yeah, I, I really think uh, it's something I can stand by. Um, obviously, personal preference comes into it a lot. Um, so there'll be things people disagree with, but yeah, that's the nature of anything like this, really. Excellent. And just to be clear about the list, was it specifically a list based on match quality or did did the importance of a match or historical significance or anything like that to, to, um, kind of be factored into it? So how I always look at this, and I'll take the same approach when we had done there and you would, uh, you'd have done similar things yourself, Jamesy, like where... Um, I'd be doing the, the FSM 50 where we're ranking yeah, yeah. and it's like it's for me I look at bell to bell yeah and okay. when I'm looking at bell to bell it's not just about the athleticism or the near falls or the selling it's about engagement with the crowd the charisma on display um if it's a big match setting, okay, so like you you said, like did I, I forgot what word you used there, but I think you're kind of saying like did the setting matter, the um the the, the historical importance, the historical or, or importance. significant matches rather than exactly. great matches. Oh. That comes into it in the sense that if it was a big spot and those wrestlers in the match 
worked to that big spot and made the best out of it, that absolutely will come into it. Likewise, if it's a big match, but you don't do that spot justice, then it's going to detract from it. And if it's a small, if it's say like, we had this in honorable mentions. It didn't actually make the list, but uh, say Zack Saber Jr. versus um, Brian Danielson from Triple X in the pub in Coventry. Um, if you are in a situation like that where it's as small time as it comes, and you manage to rise above that, it's gonna stand. It's gonna stand ahead of a match that's bell to bell, the exact same match, but say is happening on. I'd know an electric ballroom progress show or, or what have you, you know? So you, there's so much that goes into it, but ultimately it all comes together in my feel and takeaway of the match. And I feel I've seen enough wrestling in the last 30 years that I don't really need to um, pick apart and assign ratings to all the different um, attributes of a match to know if a match was good, I'll know from the feel. And my feel as I'm watching the match, as I'm judging the match, that will that will encompass everything that I feel needs to be encompassed in it. Okay, it makes perfect sense, yeah. Um, and like, there is no doubting that it's a thorough list and a comprehensive list. Um, and I, I was kind of thinking about this podcast earlier and trying to come up with a way to kind of to do the list justice, I suppose, more than anything. You know what I mean? And like, it will be easy for us to just sit here and list the matches. And number one, I don't want to do that because we want people to go out and actually buy the magazine. And See my look lovely write-ups of, of these Exactly, matches. exactly. Uh, and we don't want to be st- stealing stealing Brian Elliott's thunder on his last ever. We want to get good. <laughs> uh, we want to get record sales for that for that final ever episode of Fighting Spirit magazine. So I thought what we might do, Alice, um, Alan, is, is go through maybe the list and I've kind of, brought some of the significant matches into chronological order so we'll kind of start from the world of sport era and we'll work our way forwards and if at any stage alan you think that i haven't given a match that you think is very important justice just jump in you know this is as much your platform as anyone's it's your list if there's a match that i'm not talking about that you think is important just raise the hand and off you go Um, i probably won't even raise the hand jamesy i'll probably just rudely interject even better even better we know each other well enough that you can jump in at any stage Alan. you know that um so yeah so as i suppose starting with the world of sport era and i mean i I was really happy that that you that you included this and that you did a deep dive into it and i mean you alluded to it earlier myself and yourself have done podcasts in the past where, where we really wanted to learn about this era of wrestling and we very rapidly came to the conclusion that the world of sport era is 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 not just exhibition matches and trickery and you know almost semi-comedic wrestling like there's an awful lot of great wrestlers worked in that era and there's an awful lot of great matches went on in that era and i suppose one of the things that that i really like when a project like this happens like whether it's the greatest wrestler ever project that was done a few years ago or whether it's the you know a, a match of the year podcast that looks like that looks at a big number of matches i love when a hidden gem is on is kind of unveiled you know what i mean i love when i hear about wrestlers i didn't know about and the first match i'd like to talk about is is a pair of wrestlers um from the 70s called C- steve vidor and gwyn davies and they had a match on the 26th of may 1976 that it's fair to say i think it blew your socks off as much as it blew mine off when you watched this match 
It sure did, and it resulted in a, a top 10 finish, the highest placing World of Sport match on the list. Um, this one, so when I started really getting into World of Sport and watching, getting an appreciation of it, um, the thing that kind of, and I think this would be something that a lot of people feel about World of Sport, is that the best action, the best matches come from the lighter weight classes that the middle weights here your your marty jones types mark rocco and then the lighter weights your your johnny saints your your steve gray's people like that when people think world of sport and old joint promotions wrestling and heavyweights they think of big daddy and giant haystacks and that being not exactly known for wrestling quality uh it's more the characters, the showmanships, the just literally the size of these guys being the the draw for people, so to speak. So I was not really aware of the fact that there was some really great heavyweight wrestlers on the UK scene back then. And seeing this match, I was like, oh my God, I need to find as much more of this type of stuff as possible. And unfortunately, the the sad bit is that with World of Sport and the one big glaring limitation of this list is that we we don't have the vast majority of this footage available. And I'm pretty confident that over the years, the matches that have been talked about by the people that lived through the era, the majority of them that really kind of get brought up, we do have. And um a lot of ones that are talked about as classics, we we have at our, our fingertips. Thankfully, or in part, we're grateful to the Wrestling Channel for that. With mm-hmm. them Absolutely. bringing back all the the tapes from ITV and the the people who logged as much of that onto like places like YouTube, and there's DVD sites out there where you're able to get stuff. I've got a a bit of a a, a and a nice sized pile of, of world of sport DVDs that I have. And it's, um, yeah, the, there's a decent amount out there, but when you think of the amount of wrestling that happened in the UK and that happened on television from the seventies through the eighties, I'm sure there's a lot of great matches that have gotten lost. And I'm sure these two men, Steve Vidor and Gwyn Davis, I'm sure they had many, many other classic matches but i'd be surprised if they had one better than this because this jamesy was absolutely glorious it was i described it in the magazine as uh kento miyahara versus shuji ishikawa in britain <laughs> in 1976 that's what the match felt like gwyn davis just felt like ishikawa to me the way he went about his business, a bit like Walter as well, maybe, but yeah. a, a wall of a man who his opponent had to just try and crack through with every bit of fire and tenacity that he had. And and Davis just did not make it easy for him. And early in the match, it was just the sheer size and the, the ability of him that was the problem. But then as the match goes on, he starts to get a, a little bit of... Uh, starts to bend the rules to his advantage a little bit and they, they get a little uh, a little bit feisty in there and take a few shortcuts and just be a little dirty uh, 
the way he goes about the fight turns a little dirty and and it really puts Vidor in the hole and he has to he has to really dig himself out and you get to something that I re, really puts a, a lucha two out of three falls match over the top for me or can really put one of these world of sports matches over the top for me is when you get great ends or great finishes to every fall and the first two falls were had just beautiful finishes in this match they were perfect the final fall i could see some people seeing it and be like ah oh, that's a disappointing end to the match but if you stop and you think about what this match was and then you think about what this finish was and you look at the reaction of the crowd to this finish and think about the fact that it's 1976 mm, yeah this finish is just absolutely brilliant it's so great, and it's the perfect way for this match to end. This was unquestionably the find of the project. It's uh, as hidden gem as, as hidden gems come. I, I can't claim to be the one that discovered it. In, in trying to, to read up about it after the fact, I can see that the guys on the Segunda Kaeda blog who are, are very good for pulling um, hidden gems out of the crates of pro wrestling and that. Uh, they were on the ball with this one a couple of years ago, and another guy. Um, oh, what was his name? Um, he doesn't. You don't see him around much anymore. But uh, Bill Thompson, I think he Bill had Thompson, a blog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a blog, and he wrote about this one as well. So, um, yeah, I just I spotted it on a um, on the forum about the uh, um, the greatest match ever project that they were doing um, over on. I don't know, it was probably in conjunction with PWO. I don't think it was actually on the PWO forum, but they were doing some projects. And I was looking at nominations and trying to find things from the UK. And uh, this just was one I was like, okay, I haven't heard of this. It seems to be quite well regarded from the, the few people in here. So uh, give this a go. And yeah, it was awesome. Absolutely. And as you said, just an unexpectedly great and like by the end, a brutal match. Like, I mean, I think it was, is it Vidor at the end? Is his mouth is bleeding? Um, that is just, just a tremendous match. And I always found watching the world of sport matches that the really great ones are ones where there's a point of escalation. Like they usually start with, with pretty basic holes and pretty gentleman wrestling. A bit of argy-bargy, as Kent Walton would say. But at some point, somebody does something to kind of piss the other guy off or annoy him a little bit. And that's where the, that's kind of what separates the good World of Sport matches to me from the great ones. And I mean, if ever a match escalated, it was this one. So yeah, absolutely brilliant match. I think finding that match justifies all your effort alone, I think. Oh it was yeah, make something like that. the whole thing was a pleasure to do. I don't want this at any point to sound like it was a slog because there's... Nothing I love more than making a good old list, and there is nothing I love more than <laughs> digging through, watching old wrestling um, for a project. And uh, I had a blast doing this. And yeah, when you when you find a match like that, it makes it even all the more rewarding. It's the the, the icing on the cake. Absolutely. And another match I just like to mention as well from the era. It's um, it's it's not always just British wrestlers that took took part in, in these matches in the world of sport era. There were guys who did come on excursion and another amazing match that I remember you and I raving about on a podcast a few years ago was on the 25th of April 1987. Marty Jones versus a very young but nonetheless athletic own heart. And what a match this was, Alan. Like, if you talk about matches being ahead of their time and about a wrestler coming into a promotion and kind of doing stuff 
that would still look good 20, 30 years later. It was Owen Hart in this match. So tell me a little bit about this match. This was this was great stuff, wasn't it? You've done me the honour, Jamesy, of uh, comparing me to, to Kent Walton a few times on this <laughs> podcast. I, I, I can't say, I, I have to say that's complete nonsense, of course. I, I, <laughs> I am not a patch on that great man. But the one thing that I think of with this match is Kent Walton on commentary, how genuinely impressed and bowled over he seemed by Owen. Yeah, he yeah. was... He couldn't believe this athlete that he was watching. It was, oh, it was just really, it was really great to to watch the match and hear the commentary and just hear how impressed he was. A guy who had seen such an amount of great wrestling to that point. Like you think in 87, that's towards the end of the World Sport Run. So he had the majority of the wrestling he'd seen in his lifetime was behind him. And for him to then still be just so blown away by someone like Owen Hart, it was a real testament to how ahead of his time Owen was. And as well, I was saying this to someone yesterday, actually. I, I recommended this match to, to somebody yesterday, and I was saying to them how, like, Owen's athleticism, or, or what he was doing, was extremely innovative and creative for the time, for sure. That's definitely the story. But also, you got to think of the size this guy was. He may not have seemed big back then, but if you put Owen Hart in today's wrestling, like he's a big, thick, burly mm-hmm. man, you know. And if you saw him wrestling, I don't know, like um, Ricochet now, like he'd look like a giant. And if he was going <laughs> back and forth, if he was going back and forth to Ricochet and and doing some of the spots he was doing here that he did in some of his New Japan tours, like he he just he'd fit in just fine. But at a much bigger size, which makes it so impressive. But um, he just had he just had a lot of class about him as a wrestler in his younger years. You could see what a natural he was. And Marty Jones' opponent, like if I was to use one word to sum up that man, it, it's class. He is absolutely he is a classic, and um, he is the classic babyface sportsman of a wrestler. You know, so he had a very sporting contest here. Um, I first saw this. A long time ago on the wrestling channel when they, I can't remember if it was a supercard. I think it might have been a supercard Sunday they did. But I know I had this match for years on a VHS because back in the day, back in like 05, I was making my, uh, what did I call them? Best of wrestling. I think best of wrestling. Alan Forel's best of wrestling. And I know that because I have that videotape in my living room as we speak. (laughs) Do you? You you gave it to me. You gave me this because when we were doing our project a few years ago, we watched this match and the the, the version of it that's on YouTube is clipped and there's a few rounds missing. And you gave me that particular videotape to watch the fuller version. I still have have it. And it's nice and safe. Don't worry. I'll take that back off you. Don't worry. It's nice and safe. I wonder what else is on there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I knew I had that and it was lucky I did because this didn't actually get put online in full until a few months ago by John Lister. Yeah. So it was only out there in kind of a weird kind of clipped up. Clipped it was almost like the, rounds, yeah. yeah, it was almost like the, the user themselves on Daily Motion or whatever it was kind of clipped it up for some reason, maybe to fit into a time limitation that there was at one point on that or I don't know, but um. Yeah, and it was kind of a bit dodgy quality, but no, I had the nice pristine version off the wrestling channel, the match in full, and um, 
yeah, John put it up there. It's on YouTube, so everyone can. It might actually be Daily Motion. No, I think it's YouTube. But everyone can uh, can watch it now in all its glory. It's it's great, and it had a very respectable finish just outside the top twenty um, on this list. And a well-earned position too. And just very, very briefly, Alan, because we do have an awful lot to talk about, but th- th- there was one name that, that, that gave me an awful lot of pleasure to see on the list. Um, like We've had a few chats on, on this particular podcast in the last while about maybe the greatest British wrestler of all time. And the common consensus is that it's between Zach and Will Ospreay. Um, but, but when you and I were, were doing our, our World of Sport project, the one name that stood out above all else was a Mr. Terry Rudge. Now, Terry Rudge isn't as well known as even Marty Jones and Rollerball Rocco and that kind of thing. But to my mind, he was always my favourite guy to watch from that era. And where Rudge suffers, I think, unfortunately, is that there's a severe lack of footage out there of him. As far as I know, there's only maybe 15 to 20 Rudge matches on tape anywhere. Um, But Terry Rudge is an amazing wrestler. And I mean, if you think about the the gritty, hard-nosed wrestlers. And a um, world traveller. Exactly, exactly. But if you think about the gritty, hard-nosed wrestlers like Finlay and William Regal, and William Regal would be a huge fan of Terry Rudge's. Like Terry Rudge is is like those guys, but with the volume turned up. This guy is a hard wrestler. He makes his opponents earn every single thing in every match. The minute his matches starts, he claims the middle of the ring. Just an amazing, aggressive wrestler. And I was so happy to see that you put his match with Marty Jones from December 1973 on the list. So this list gets the Jamesy approval just for having Terry Rudge on it. Yeah, this this match and honestly this match um I probably had it a couple of spots higher than maybe personal preference. There's probably and this will be the case with a couple of points on, on the listers. There's probably some matches below this that I myself maybe prefer a little bit. Yeah. But I just feel this match is it's so well thought of amongst people who've seen it. Um, and like you said, people like Regal. Regal's forever pimping this match to people. Yes, yes. Um, had David Starr talking about this match uh, as something that he was studying when I did my conversations with him for WXW Now. It's a, it's a match that's really uh, had an impact on people. And I think that kind of legacy that it has, it made me feel that I might have... I had to put it a couple of places higher than a few others that maybe I personally preferred. That is not to say that I didn't love this because, oh, I we've talked about it before. It's a classic match. It's it's brilliant. Um, it's a sporting contest, but it has a bit of an edge to it. And uh, just so such intensity throughout the contest. Like that's that's one of the big things about it. It's so intense. It's a it's a sporting contest in the same way that that Jones and Owen is, but there's definitely a bit more of a grit and more yeah, edge to yeah. it. Whereas um, the Owen match had a bit more of a flamboyant side to it. There isn't, there's nothing flamboyant about this. Terry Rudge didn't do flamboyant. I think Terry Rudge would probably, uh, I'd say he'd probably share a similar sentiment as Regal and Finley when it comes to Zack Sabre Jr. Um, and <laughs> that weird analysis that they had of Zack Sabre Jr. wrestling a, a couple of years ago. But uh, I, 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 I can't say I'd be surprised if Terry Rudge wouldn't say the same. He was, he was definitely every every bit of the hard-nosed uh fighter that regal and finley were and uh, they definitely took a lot from him and came out of his mold for sure absolutely yeah and like just to kind of to 
put a bow on our world of sports section, I would really encourage people to look at the list, pick out those world of sport matches. Like, like there's a lot of matches on this list that people will, you know, if people are modern wrestling fans, they will have seen before. But I know for a fact that if people actually take the time to watch these world of sport matches, it won't be what you expect. It's 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 amazing wrestling, and it's wrestling that need, we need to keep the spirit of wrestling like this alive because it's so important. Um, so definitely, when you get your list, seek out the world of sports stuff. I'm pretty sure it's all on YouTube. Have a watch. You won't yeah, be any, disappointed. Anything anything on this list is available either on an on-demand service, on a DVD, or like a, a readily purchasable DVD. Um, or it's on, uh, well, maybe some of, the, some of the Ring of Honor ones. I don't know about the Ring of Honor shows. Maybe they're not readily purchasable yeah, anymore. Yeah. But uh, yeah. um, there's enough people have the have the Ring of Honor. You can call over to someone's house and watch it. But uh, um, the the world of sports stuff, if it's on the list, it's it's available on like YouTube or yeah. or Daily Motion or something. You won't have to you 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 won't have to dig out um, uh, anything um, too difficult to to find them. So. Exactly. So so moving forward, Alan, um, and we go from the 60s. To, so the world of sport era, roughly from the 60s to the 80s, moving forward into the 1990s and wrestling in the UK was in a very much a different place. Wrestling was no longer on mainstream ITV and to a, to a, it was really just tours from WWE and, and to a lesser extent WCW that people had to rely on to, to see kind of big show wrestling. Um, and I think that's reflected in the list. Like there's actually only two matches from the 90s on the list and they both happen on the same show, which is an iconic show for most we got, people. We got, three, we got, uh, I think we got four, don't we? I'm just doing a quick oh, yeah. head count here. Two 97s, two 92s. Oh, sorry. You're dead right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're dead right. There's a 97 as well. And oh, it's, it's two two shows both give two matches. Both had two matches, exactly. So I suppose the show that I kind of want to focus on is SummerSlam from Wembley, 19, from Wembley in 1992. And like, I don't know about you, Alan, were, were you kind of as engrossed in wrestling as I was at that point? But in 1992, I was 11 years of age. And this, 1992 WWF, is basically my childhood. I have the most vivid memories of wrestling of my childhood from that year. Like have the, you the gone right... and watched all the superstars on the network? I'm, I'm plowing my way through them slowly but surely. <laughs> and I had them on I had them on DVD for years anyway inside my cupboard here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I didn't need the network. Yeah, absolutely. Like that you know the room. first the Jamesy the first one of those I pulled up when they put them on the network. When they played that opening video package, I swear to God, like every. St- still or whatever you'd call it every little clip in in that video package was so it just seemed so vivid to me from watching it when i was like yeah seven years old it was it was like it was like not a day had passed it was like yeah this is this is this then this comes after it and this comes after yeah. it and then yeah it was like ah oh, it was uh, that stuff lives with you when you see it at it's, that age. Yeah, it's 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 ingrained in my memory and um, the show itself. I suppose like I I could we couldn't ha- do this podcast and not talk about SummerSlam 1992. You know, I, I I would imagine the highest drawing show in UK history. I haven't looked it up for sure, but I can't imagine anything surpassing the 80,000 that was there. Um, I, I watched the match again last night just to kind of refresh my memory. I couldn't That's tell you the Jamesy, last. Jamesy, Jamesy, I'm. The, the lack of faith you're showing now in NXT UK, hang your head in shame. <laughs> you reckon they're going to do 80,000? That, that, that kind of negative attitude, Jamesy, that's, 
that's now you should be ashamed. We'll we'll never we'll never get anywhere now with that kind of negativity. I should be more positive here on the British wrestling experience, really, shouldn't I? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just uh, people are saying British wrestling is dead. It's it's just such negativity. It's like well, it, they're absolutely going to to talk. This takeover coming up in Cardiff now. Uh, their analysis on ticket sales are are, are trending towards a a, a bigger. A bigger crowd than SummerSlam '92. So, uh. <laughs> oh god. But anyway, yeah, the, the, I, I watched. I watched the main event again last night, and like, what a trip down memory lane! Like, I, I had completely forgotten Lennox Lewis accompanying Davy Boy to the ring with the British flag, <laughs> and he Free no more British. Lot. And he's no more, no more British than I am. <laughs> um, Diana Hart's interview before the match, oh, where, 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 where she's expressing how concerned she is and she just wants everyone to be safe and for the match to end with nobody getting hurt. And then the constant camera, the, like they constantly put the camera on her during the match. And the poor woman had to spend 25 to 30 minutes faking concern and wincing every time there was a big bump and all that kind of thing. But um, yeah, like like this match is my childhood, and like I I would have been severely disappointed if it didn't find a place on the list. Yeah, found a very very good place on the yeah, list as well. Yeah, sure top, did. Top ten, so a a very good finish for that match. But um, so I'd say it's on the short list of matches I've seen the most in my life because mm. I don't know, it's just one of those that um. I would have watched it probably a couple of times as a kid from having like the VHS and stuff like that. And then it was one that um, I remember probably in the early 2000s kind of first getting into watching old wrestling. Like that would have been, I remember the, uh, what was the show? Um, oh, the, the show they had on, it would come on after Confidential, I think. Uh, not vintage collection. Um, it was hosted from the vault, by like was it or they had a from the vault thing on. It was hosted by um, uh, Excess was the show. It's hosted oh, by Trish yeah, yeah. and Coach, and they'd have a, a a classic match segment on there. And I remember one of the episodes they had um, this, and I recorded it, and I went back and watched it a bunch of times. It might have made a, a best of wrestling tape. Uh, um, who knows? <laughs> but um, yeah, my best of wrestling tapes were. Uh, the, the, the people don't realize like of having like two video two VHS uh, sets and have uh, plugging them in together with a scart lead and or plugging them both into the TV I think at the same time I think that's how how you do it and you'd play one video and record off the other and that's how I was making these comp tapes literally just for myself like I I didn't have a, a method of like duplicating these videos or anything like that it was literally just for myself and I had about eight of them. And they'd be like matches like this that would air on like um, excess in the from the vault section or something that would happen on the wrestling channel that I'd want to keep. And and um, yeah, it was one of those matches that I just would have watched a bunch of times to the point where I kind of just got to know it really well. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like the last time I would have watched it, which was probably a couple of years ago, it just kind of felt like. I just didn't really like there was nothing new about it to me. It was just a match I was so familiar with um, that there was no kind of surprise or being taken aback by it. So, so what I made a point of doing with this, because I really did feel the ranking of this match was important. I felt this would be one of those matches that people would open up FSM 
and it would be one of the five matches where people would be looking to see where I had it on the list, you know? Um, It would be a lot of people's barometer for how I approach the list. Like, if if I didn't have it and made a statement that WWF wrestling has been surpassed and at all modern stuff, or if I was, like, completely blinded by the... um, the legacy and the glitz and the glamour, then maybe I'd have had it number one. You know, people will be looking to see where I had it to, yeah, to make a yeah. judgment on the list based on that. So I knew it was important to really give this a lot of thought. So what I made a point of doing was I convinced my lovely wife one evening to watch the match with me. And I, I convinced her to put put away the phone, everything, just full focus. And my wife is not a Bret Hart fan. And uh, she did a tweet after we watched this match. Um, and she said, so I learned tonight, Bret Hart, actually good. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I, I wanted to watch it with her so I could kind of see through her eyes mm, what yeah. she thought of it. And she's someone who's seen a whole heck of a lot of wrestling in recent years, live, on TV, Um like real high standard stuff and um and and she's watched wrestling since she was even younger than me so um like she's I, she started when she was probably about five watching wrestling i think i was six or seven but uh it was actually we were both at the same show when i was um when i was seven or eight when i was eight and she was six we were at the same show didn't know each other oh, wow. then, but uh Amazing. Yeah, WF and the, the point. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I wanted to kind of see what she thought of it. As someone that doesn't go back and watch a ton of old wrestling, um, see what she kind of felt uh, watching this match and kind of how she thought about how the match was worked and what she reacted to. And it kind of gave me a kind of a, a feel through different eyes for the match. And um, yeah, it really solidified to me just. A, what an incredible one-man performance this was by Brett. Like, one of the greatest one-man shows of all time, for sure, because Bulldog was clearly having to be helped along in this thing. He was off his face or gassed or had forgotten everything. <laughs> a a little like, bit of both, I think, uh, maybe. Yeah. A little bit of everything, yeah. Just He was <laughs> he was in no fit condition. He was not match-fit, Chasey, let's put it like he that. Wasn't, he wasn't. But, uh, Brett guides him through, and you can see him guiding him through, but it's not at the expense of the match. The crowd are so invested, and um, the commentary job on it is really good. Not factoring that in, but I mean, in terms of the overall experience watching it, it made it a real blast to rewatch. And uh, yeah, just a great match, and um, uh, I, I feel it deserves to be amongst uh, the elite in a discussion like this. And obviously, the setting and the the um, the grandiose spectacle of it, I I do feel that they delivered a match that was worthy of that and in that big spot they Brett really stepped up to the plate and um I think that that adds to what makes it such a great match absolutely and like I, I think probably a match that would have convinced Vince maybe at that point that Brett could be a main eventer you know what I mean oh, like this, this, sure, this was 92 you know so quite a while before he was kind of properly in the main event scene but I think like what he did that night that, that afternoon and what he did with, with Davey Boy being the way he was that's that wasn't forgotten I think and I think it played a huge part in him being trusted I think by Vince in future you know to, to be the top guy in the company um 
And I suppose for, very, very briefly, Alan, from the same show, we also have the, the I think it was the semi-main event, the uh, Macho Man against Ultimate Warrior match. Just a very few quick words on that one. Yeah, probably one of the more um, unique matches on the list. This is like a, a pure WWF cartoon match. Like yeah. there's, if people thought uh, the interference and the stuff in the G1 final was a bit overboard or <laughs> a bit cartoony, you ain't seen nothing until you've seen this thing. This was such WWF early 90s. I don't want to use the word hokiness. Um because it was really awesome and really well done. Yeah, it's a really um, like, fun match to watch, I think, more so than anything. It's so fun. It's so fun. For what it was, it really delivers the goods. And it really is a... Everyone everyone in the match, from the two guys in the match to the two guys who aren't in the match, who are as much a part of the match as the guys in the match, um, <laughs> yeah. everyone went out and delivered on what they were setting out to do in a big way. And... Uh, it's a lot of fun when I when I watched it. It wasn't one I I thought was going to be a, a lock for the list when I when I started to see the the volume I'd be dealing with. I was like, oh, there's going to be some hard cuts here, and this is one I was expecting to cut. But when I watched it, I was like, nah, you know this this has a good chance of making it, and it it made it there towards the 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 final rungs of the list. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad it did. And I'm glad it did, because, again, I kind of I always associate that as a kind of a too much show, I suppose, more than anything else. Like the, the undercard when you watch it back is pretty grim aside from that, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I think that that's that's kind of enough, I think, for the 90s. And I suppose moving forward, then we moved into we'll the let, we'll let people of, guess what the what the other show was that had delivered two matches. Absolutely. Exactly. Or, buy the or magazine even, to find out. Yeah. Buy the magazine to find out. Um, so moving into the 2000s then, I suppose this was a decade where the UK was starting to produce world-class talent again. You know, you have your Doug Williamses, your, your Johnny Storms, Jody Fleisch, a guy called Spud that you can now see on, on the WWE Network under a different name. Um, but still these talents were kind of having to travel abroad to have their best matches. Like, I mean, you know, it, it, it seems odd that a Doug Williams doesn't feature on the list but because for the most part, Doug Williams was having to travel into to America and to Germany to have his great matches. Um, but while the local independent scene was still stagnant, um, there were lots and lots of matches that made this list when promotions w- w- would kind of come to come to the UK and put on big shows or one-off super shows. And a, one a, of new the... har- a new hardcore fan base, sorry to interrupt you, but a new yeah, hardcore yeah. fan base was was really being created like the likes of us the likes of people i mentioned earlier like mark buckley and 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 ben and um benno and and like all of us that kind of became super hardcore fans in the 2000s i think it was like a real mix of um power slam the magazine uh yeah yeah the wrestling channel um the talk sport radio show for some people for sure Right. Um, Tommy Boyd, do you remember that? You know, I got into it after he was gone. I only ever okay, heard his okay, name. Yeah. But when I was listening to it, it was um, it was Alex Shane, Simon Rothstein, I think. He went on to work for TNA for years and years. I dealt with him a little when he worked for TNA. Um, uh, him, Alex Shane, and I don't know, was it Dean AS was the other person? It might have been. Um, but uh, sure, because he was always doing a kind of a heel gimmick. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that was uh, uh, just the kind of 
the attention that was being given through those mediums to US indie wrestling, which was on the rise, and wrestling from Japan, it was creating a, a new um a, a new group of hardcore fans which was was quite big and the UK fan forum became a big thing kind of house all these fans and uh, like shows like uh, the the big super shows that ended up happening over here like the wrestling channel international showdown like the uh, Alex Shane produced things like um universal uproar was that the name of the one and um and then of course promotions like ROH actually coming over and touring like these were drawn big crowds and really invested, excited crowds who were were a starved. For... Yeah, yeah, exactly. We both said the same word exactly. Like there was a hunger amongst fans for pro wrestling and for live pro wrestling. You know, and yeah. um, you mentioned ROH there. Um, I think we really need to talk about their visits to the UK in particular. So they visited twice for two separate big weekenders. I would say back in back in that era in August two thousand and six and March two thousand and seven. Yeah. And the first of those shows was Unified 2006. And I would say, based based purely on, on representation on this list, it has to go down as one of the best single shows to ever take place in the UK. And um, I suppose, from the point of view of this podcast, the 12th of August 2006, the day of this show, the first time I ever met Benno, my co-host on this on this podcast. So if it wasn't for that show... We probably wouldn't be sitting here today having this conversation, Alan. So th- th- this is far-reaching stuff. You know, significant stuff was happening there. You know, the the, the shadow government of, of 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 British podcasting was being formed, and we didn't even know it. <laughs> we didn't even know it at the time. You know. And my first question for you, Alan, is: In that era, were were you an ROH bot? Uh, I, you know, I wasn't really on the ROH forum. I was, I was an F4W boy. I was over on the, the figure four board. I was, I'd be uh, uh, hanging around DVD VR a little bit, maybe around this time or the, the year after I was getting onto the CZW fans board. Um, I was never really on the ROH forum much, but I was absolutely a massive ROH fan. Like I loved that product so much. It was to me um the fillet steak of pro wrestling at that time. Oh, it was it was just fantastic. And I, I watched as many of the shows as I could. I um was a huge fan of the guys. They were stars to me. I'd watch the shoot interviews, people like CM Punk, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, the Briscoes, they were absolutely stars to me on the level of anyone who was in WWE. Like, I would oh, yeah. have been as starstruck meeting CM Punk as I would have been meeting who would have been a top guy in WWE at this point, um, Batista, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was... I was a big-time ROH fan, and I, I can't really remember the point of hearing that ROH were coming to the UK, but do you remember that, Jamesy? Do you remember, like... The actual announcement and the ballet around. I, 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 I don't at all. Yeah. I literally just remember kind of matches starting to get announced, and I remember going over, but I don't really remember any of my excitement building up to it. Yeah, like this, I definitely remember it vividly because I was so excited that they were coming. You know what I mean? Like these, you know, like there wasn't much in the way of top quality wrestling here in Ireland at the time. We had Irish whip wrestling, and you'd have the odd good super show and that kind of thing. But like to, 
to see a genuine and like what's in their credit is they put on genuine ROH canon shows, like important shows, you know, and we, we talk about the main event in a, in a minute, like one of the biggest matches in company history, you know what I mean? So we were going to get the genuine ROH experience, you know, it was just an amazing thing. You know, I remember the announcements. I remember. Were the announcements the, earlier that year or were they, how far out were they? I would feel like maybe it was maybe a few months in advance, but what I vividly remember the announcement of the main event because I was in Dubai on holidays with my friends, and I knew that main event of the, of the show was being announced on a particular day of the holiday, and I forced my, my friends who were with me had no interest in wrestling whatsoever, and I forced them to set up a laptop with really really bad internet connection just so I could find out what the main event of this show was like, and when I saw it was going to be Danielson McGuinness, like it was. It was like God, like it, you know the way you, you hear a match and you hadn't, you haven't for some reason you haven't even considered it might be the match, and they were going to unify the two titles. Like, and I was just like, I think I, I was, I think I was online the day the tickets went on sale. I remember like I, I was front row for it. Like I had to be as close to the ring for this show. Like this was, I was a ravenous, as you described <laughs> earlier, I was a ravenous wrestling fan with an appetite for wrestling, and I was going to make the most of this appearance, you know, of, the, of this, of this whole weekend, you know. And um, yeah, let's talk about the match, Alan. I don't think it's it's not going to surprise you. Like we're not spoiling anything by saying this was the number one match on the list, wasn't it? Danielson against McGuinness in a unification I, match between the Pure title and the ROH title. I gave probably, I'd say five or six other matches. I really tried to make an argument in my own head for mm. how they could be better than this. And I gave every chance to not have this as the number one. Like I was, I was to a point unfair on this match because I was looking to almost, and not because, not because I don't like the match or, or, or God knows, and no negative reason towards this match, but I was almost looking to not have it number one just to try and not even to be different, but just. So it wouldn't be obvious almost, yeah, yeah. Not not even so much that, but just so I wasn't going on reputation, you know, and just going, ah, oh, I'll just go with this because, like, I was, I didn't want people to think I was, um, yeah, just kind of going with an obvious story. I, I can't even really phrase what was going I, on I, through I my mind. Yeah, I, it was, I was just yeah. looking to give to give a real fair shake to as much other matches as possible and really, really rule out others being ahead of this and. Yeah, I just at the end I was just like I I I did two rewatches towards the end of the project of this match, and when I did them I was just like, yeah, no, there's there, this is no this is number one. There's just no there's no touching it. It's it's that incredible. And the thing that um the thing that actually stood out to me most watching it back again. As and analyzing it as thoroughly as I did for this, is the strength of the match isn't the um, it's not the physical exchanges in the match, it's not the near falls, it's not the incredible emotion, even it's not the atmosphere, it's not the sheer uh, lack of um regard for their own body that they put themselves through here. The the biggest strength of this match on the rewatches was the character work in the match. The character work in this thing, how the little things they did to get over their characters and 
make the match about this awful, arrogant, cocky, just <laughs> horrible little man against this dumb as rocks, proud, brave fighter who was just had so much pride and he just did not want to let people down and he was building he was building more of a weight on his own shoulders than he even needed to that was McGuinness and they just did so much to get across those characters in this match that it was it was just a masterclass in character work and really making those diverse characters making you believe in them that they were the legit real deal that you're watching and seeing how the crowd bought into those characters and how they reacted to everything they did, which built off that as the foundation of the match. Because the character work was the foundation of the match and everything else was built off that. Absolutely. Would I be right in saying, Alan, that prior to this, like in ROH in America, McGuinness was a heel? Would that be right? That he was still a heel at the time? And it, 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 it basically much. this was his face turn, I think. Yeah. Um, and like, what a risk that was for Gabe to, to, to take a guy who was a heel in ROH canon and to kind of, you know, this whole match was based around Nigel being the valiant hometown babyface. You know what I mean? And what a risk he took, like a guy who had been a heel up till then, to put him in the ring and, you know, you're kind of hoping that the crowd will be with him. But like you said, he was in there with the greatest wrestler of all time. He was in there with the guy who was doing everything in his power to be the heel in this match. You know what I mean? Like, do you remember even for his ring entrance, bear in mind this was Liverpool, and for his ring entrance, he interrupts the ring announcer and he makes him say that uh, he introduces him as Brian Danielson, the ROH world champion, even better than the Beatles. That's always something I just I just remember cackling laughing when I heard that being said. Yeah, and I believe it was a venue, the Olympia is a venue that the Beatles played at. Yeah, I'm, not, yeah. no, I'm no music expert, but I feel like I heard that uh, uh, a couple of times. But, um, oh, a gorgeous venue as well. Like you couldn't, Amazing place to watch oh, wrestling. Yeah. A perfect place to watch wrestling. That atmosphere, it was like they were down, it was like you're in the uh, the Roman Colosseum and they were down the pit, just the the yeah. energy and everything that was just coming up because I was you said you were from Roger I was I was a, a, a tight student at this point <laughs> didn't have a, didn't have a lot of money to, to spend I remember stay, we stayed at me and my mate who I'm actually going over with the same mate to uh, Royal Quest um, next week uh, our first trip to go I think maybe no uh, we we've done a couple of trips um shortly after this ROH one, but um, our first trip together over to wrestling in, in a long while for New Japan now. But uh, we went to this and like we stayed in, um, we stayed in a shitty little hostel uh, with um, a bunch of other ROH fans that were there as well. And um, uh, like paid, I don't know, like seven pounds for the room or something like that. <laughs> Just, I was, I, I, I could have spent more on this trip, but I was, like I, I was still at a point in my life where I don't know I, I just I didn't feel I could spend a lot of money because I still kind of thought I was like a teenager essentially but I was yeah, yeah. I don't know I was 21 I guess when this was I I, I probably had more I, I could have shelled out for a nice hotel for myself if I wanted to I probably could have got like floor seats if I wanted to but I was like oh no better go for these balcony tickets they're a bit cheaper a bit more reasonable uh, better fly over at the 
I don't know, 5 a.m. or something, even though there's a nice like 11 a.m. flight that's maybe 10 pounds more expensive first. That's all it is. But uh, yeah, I was I was being stingy and I was in the balcony. And uh, but it was to get back to the point, it was you, you could feel the energy coming up to you. Like it was yeah. it the emotion, the atmosphere, it all rose up in that venue. It was great. Just a, a great place to watch wrestling. And thankfully, it wasn't the only uh, classic match we got to see in that building even on that night. Beautiful segue, Alan. So, yeah, I wanted to talk a little about the semi-main event of that, of that show, uh, which was the Briscoes against Austin Aries and Roderick Strong. And, like, what an amazing... This was the time when the Briscoes were really on a roll in ROH, and they were almost made of entries in their own right. And they were just putting on match after match after match of the highest quality. And um, this was as good a match as the Briscoes maybe have ever had. You know, it's funny because... If you hadn't watched this match since you saw it at the time, and really you could say this about a lot of the kind of that era of the Briscoes, um, if you hadn't watched the stuff since then, you could definitely, with all the stuff we've seen, all the great tag matches we've seen, all the crazy things that people do nowadays, you could definitely think that, ah, 12 years ago, it was probably pretty jaw-dropping at the time, but it probably doesn't hold up too well mm. in 2019 eyes. You could definitely think that. Well, trust me, if you watch it with 2019 eyes, you won't think that. Because this thing holds up, I think, a lot better than a lot of crazy matches that we see nowadays will in 12 years' time. Um, the reason it does so is because whilst yeah there's a whole load of innovative cool amazing spots that were blowing our mind in 2007 the strength of this match that lived that lives on and carries it and will allow it to stand the test of time is the physicality and the pace and the aggression and all of that is there in spades and you really get the sense you're watching two great tag teams just iron sharpens iron testing each other you know that there's a story to the match because of that and it's just yeah it feels like a a really great tag team match absolutely and like to, to say that you do have a show taking place where you have a match you have two matches in the top 10 that ever took place on british style like that's that's got to be up there as one of the best shows that ever took place because even the undercard of that show was really, really strong. Like, there was nothing bad on this show. This was a really, really, really good it's, show from top to bottom, you know. It's basically, looking at it, it's the greatest singles match ever in the UK and the greatest tag match ever in the UK. Semi-main event go. and main event. That's, yeah. And, that's, and like, uh, there's a list of names of people on the undercard, like, and look where they went on to go in wrestling, you know what I mean? Between you know, Matt Seidel on there and Jimmy Rave, and didn't Hero do a run in as well? And there was this to show Hero did a run in, it was in the, the, was, the beginning yeah. of the CZW feud, you know? So, just, yeah, just an amazing show and an amazing night. And, like, Intr- sorry, go ahead, James. Yeah, I was just the only the last thing I was going to say, like, is it is it the best, is it still the best live match you've ever seen in person? Uh, Brian and, and Nigel. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I was given I was given this serious thought as I was walking out of Sumo Hall on on June the fifth, um, okay. after Shingo and Osprey. I was really, I was really given a lot of thought. I was actually, um, yeah, I think Mark Buckledy was. Uh, I think I talked to him in the train station, and I was uh, like, I think I asked him the question, "Were you at, um, 
I assumed he was, and I, I can't even remember where our conversation went, but I literally hadn't thought about it until just now, but I, I asked him um, about how that compared to to Nigel and, and Danielson. I can't remember what he said, but and I still don't even really know for myself. You know, it's when you're dealing with matches of that level, like Shingo Osprey Super Juniors final, yeah. um, this match from from Unified. Uh, another big one for me is Walter Ilya 16 carat final. Course, little bit of a yeah. little bit of a different thing for that for me because I was doing commentary on it. So my live experience will will always be slightly different than those other ones that I was there just as a fan. Um, and oh, there's just another match as well. I'm trying to think that I always kind of consider when I think of the greatest matches I've seen live. I'm, it can't have been that great now if I'm forgetting it, but uh, <laughs> I feel like there was one other. But the um, point I was just going to make was um, okay, I, sorry, yeah. I, I hadn't thought about it at all when doing the list. And I only just realized that when I went there to see was that the highest ranking tag match, the the Briscoes match. But it's not only the highest ranking, but you have to go, it, it was seventh, and you have to go to 32 on the list to get to the next tag team match. Wow. So I don't, oh, sorry, not 32. Um, 31, 31. So I don't know what that says, because uh, I'm certainly someone who loves tag team wrestling, so I don't mm. think it's um, a subconscious leaning towards singles matches for me i just think probably uh there's more of an emphasis on big great matches in the uk having been singles matches so i don't know <laughs> it's actually interesting to see these little quirks isn't it in the data like and that kind of thing and things that emerge when you look at the list for long enough kind of that's the kind of thing that fascinates me as well yeah, yeah. um and the last thing i would say to people is if they're ever watching that match on dvd I want him to do one thing for me. Um, there's the ring post, the infamous ring post spot uh, that happens in this match. Pause your DVD and look in the background and you'll see a young, fresh-faced Richard Benson standing in the background, head to toe in ROH gear with his head in his hands <laughs> in disgust at what he's seeing in front of him. <laughs> and that's your BWE. Yeah, that's my co-host from the British Wrestling Experience, Benno. There he is, baby-faced, full of enthusiasm and youth, not the cynical man we see on Twitter these days taking progress wrestling and NXT apart. He's, he, he still believed in those days, Alan. He, he was still a believer back then. He was probably stressed out from if anything would go wrong for the bus he had organized the, bus, the next morning. The bus was due the next morning. That's absolutely right. But I, I don't think would, there's an embargo on discussing that bus on this podcast. I don't think the post wrestling network is the right place for the things oh, that really? we saw and the things that happened on that bus with half the ROH roster. I don't think this is the platform where those things should be discussed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't on the bus, sadly. I went home to Ireland uh, the next day. I, did, I didn't make the trip down to London, but uh, I did do the double shot a couple of months later which was back to back in liverpool and and we uh those shows certainly served up a couple of things that made the list as well so absolutely anything you want to talk about on those are you happy to move on or i'm happy to move on let's hit some other topics yeah so the next company that that would have visited around this a little bit later in the decade was dragon gate uk and i know that these shows are really really close to your heart um, they ran 12 shows in the UK between November 2009 and July 2014. 
They feature genuine Dragon Gate rosters and stables, mix in with a few local talents, such as a young Marty Skirl and Mark Haskins were on a few of them. Um, and again, we were both at the first show, first of November 2009, the first time we ever met, Alan, I think, properly, if I, if yeah. I remember rightly, was at that yeah. show. Indeed um, it was. So that show, to me, is memorable for two things. Number one, meeting the great Alan Forel for the first time. And number two, Marty Skirl's tan. Oh yeah, Marty Skrull, he, he put the time in on the tanning bed for this show. He knew this was a big opportunity. He had Mark Sloan tell him he, he needed to look professional and he needed to take it seriously. And and boy, did he make sure he went the extra mile for this. 100%. He wasn't going to be, and look at, don't we remember him for us? So it, it served its purpose, if nothing else. Um, yeah. And look, with these Dragon Gate shows, there's only one name I'm going to say to you, Alan, and I'm going to let you talk from there because he's one. I know he's one of your favorite wrestlers of all time. He features on the list four times, which is amazing for, for a wrestler from Japan. A man who's shot to kind of more mainstream prominence in the G1 there in the last few weeks. Shingo Takagi. Take it away, Alan. The, the legend. Oh, he's legend. absolutely amazing. And uh, the... Back the backbone of these Dragon Gate shows uh, the first couple of years was the Shingo versus Susumu Yokosuka mm. series and uh, Susumu actually someone who is a lesser name really to Western fans became the adopted son of Dragon Gate fans in the UK the UK really took Susumu under their wing and. It was after the first match with Shingo where they just tore the house down the first show and Mark Sloan who promoted these shows and he deserves so much credit for how much um, effort he put into trying to make them authentic and try to make them look polished and professional and not just be a slapdash kind of affair served up to you half-heartedly. No, he really put a lot of pride into these shows and he knew he had something with that first Shingo Susumu match and when he was able to get Dragon Gate back he made the the second trip about the rematch and then the third trip was built around the finale of the series and this three match series between Shingo and Susumu really carried what I considered a kind of like there's good stuff in the the sort of second half or the second act of the Dragon Gate UK story in 2013 2014 but um for me the 2009 to 2011 run uh five shows I believe it was in that time Shingo versus Susumu really was the the spine of it and and uh, as a result they uh those matches uh, do quite well on this list. And um, Shingo, as you mentioned, he pops up on the list a few times. He he was great in uh, his ROH appearances as well. Yeah, so yeah. he, he might have had a match from there that uh, showed up. And, he did, um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, he um, he was great. Uh, Susumu was great. A bunch of guys who came over. That's the thing with Dragon Gate. They don't, they do not, phone it in like they have such respect self-respect in, in their performance even that first show the first dragon gate uk show that we were at jamesy um they half that roster they were dying sick they had done shows in spain and germany and they had all caught their death poor oh, shingo was 
wrapped up from head to toe, practically shaken. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't have the thermometer in his mouth when he was out uh, doing his picture signing. I have um, I have a bunch of hilarious photos of me with Chingo Takagi. <laughs> like, legitimately, when I think of all my photos with Chingo, I think I have about six. They're all absurd in completely different ways. And the, the one I have uh, from this show is absurd because you can just see the man is so ill and just wants to sleep so bad and he's got a scarf on he's got his hat on oh he just looks so sick and then he went out and had this incredible match and then it's funny because at the end of the show he was semi-main event and at the end of the show they have this like the whole roster comes out kind of a thing and the poor fella's already got himself wrapped back up head to toe he's back in the scarf and the hat and he's out there again having a pose <laughs> in the middle of the ring i was like oh the poor poor guy but uh yeah dragon gate uk was cool it it didn't have like if Again, I talked about kind of that big hardcore base that kind of came up in the, the mid-2000s. This is then, you're talking a couple of years later, the turn of the decade. And that had gotten whittled down a little bit, I, I think it's fair to say. Dragon Gate was more of a niche. And these crowds weren't as big, but they felt like the biggest thing going on at the time. And until Progress and Rev Pro really took off, which was really kind of as Dragon Gate UK pretty much ended. and that's when you kind of got the next big sort of boom of big British wrestling crowds happening again in 2013, 2014 and, and on up to recent years. So, um, yeah, I think the, the Dragon Gate UK shows felt like the biggest thing happening at the time. And they were certainly the best quality wrestling that was happening in the UK in those years. Excellent, yeah. And um, how gratifying is it to see him on the, on the big stage now, like after kind of seeing him in these smaller venues in England and now he's main eventing Sumo Hall and that kind of thing. And like, you know, in the position that a guy of his talent deserves to be, I think. You know, um, I actually talked about exactly that on, um, I, I recorded last night a show which will be going up on um, uh, PW Torch VIP uh, probably later this evening. Um I was doing my G1 sleepers and I, I talked exactly on that about how gratifying it is to see mm. Shingo in this spot. So uh, give that a listen, people, if you want more fleshed out yeah. thoughts. On There's it. your cheap plug. Good one. Now, uh, the last visiting promotion that I just want to briefly discuss was Pro Wrestling Noah. And they came to Coventry in June 2008, drew a pretty good crowd of 2,400 people. And I think probably the most significant thing about those shows was it finally gave the UK audience a chance to see the great Kenta Kobashi and Mitsuharu Misawa, Jun Akiyama live in person. And they were backed up by Noah regulars at the time, such as Kenta Marafuji, Takeshi Morishima, Goshi Izaki, Takashi Sugira. So again, a kind of a, 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 a genuine Noah show for the fans back in those days. Um, I believe there are two matches at least from two this matches. show yeah. on the list. Um, I, I, know, I know there was a few more that you kind of considered and just kind of got knocked off at the end there as well um the one thing that i I can't have you on a podcast with me alan and i will never forgive myself if you don't give the bwe listeners the chance to hear about the time that you met kenta kobashi in person (laughs) well james you 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 could tell the story because you were stood behind me this was a year before we had our first meeting but you you told me then i believe it was that you had seen I did from I, I had the I had the in person uh 
um experience you had the uh, the ringside camera experience of, of viewing it so you you have a different perspective on it than me but yeah my my meeting with uh probably in in june of 2008 i would say there was nobody i considered a more godlike figure in mm. professional wrestling than yeah. kenta kobashi yeah. there was no one more larger than life um Nobody was a bigger star to me. This was six months after he came back from his cancer. So that return was, to me, one of the biggest things in pro wrestling at this point. Oh, I'm, a huge, I'm a huge Noah fan. I'm watching old All Japan regularly at this point, kind of getting it into all that stuff. Kobashi is just, he is the be-all and end-all. And... They were doing a meet and greet. This is not like your WrestleCon meet and greet where you have to pay like a grand to meet Hulk Hogan or whatever. And I will never understand people that do that. But to each their own. This was £15 or whatever it was. And you meet everyone and you can get two items signed. And I mean, like, you'd pay that in a heartbeat. Like, that goes... And we goes all did. without saying uh, we all did and we happily stood in those queues and and we'd get to all the guys and they'd have a nice chat with us i talked to muhammad yone about battle arts and uh, i talked to i think ryan danielson talked to us about something strange i can't remember what it was um uh, bison smith was there god rest him I don't know if I actually met Bison, funnily enough. I don't think I got to talk to him. Which is Danielson when, when I was doing my lap anyway, yeah. Oh, was he? Maybe. Yeah, I, I just remember because he was lovely. He was so nice. Of all the wrestlers there, he was just incredibly nice. I remember hearing him on uh, Coca-Cola's podcast years back, uh, maybe only a couple of months before he died. He just came off so, so well. And I know Kevin Steen thinks the world of him based on literally seeing Angenerical. They think the world of him literally based on one road trip they did with him in ROH and that was like they barely knew him from Adam before that they did a road trip with him and they came out of that car thinking he was one of the greatest people they've ever met in their life and and like Steen like wrote up this lovely thing about him I remember when he passed and uh, um, yeah but anyway um, that's uh, going off um, on a tangent there but uh, the yeah so we're getting this great deal to meet all these guys and going to meet Kobashi and in line. And I, I, I used to for these meet and greets because all these Mark Sloan shows w- would have this meet and greet kind of a thing uh, attached to it. So um, what I do for them, especially the, the, the first couple was I would, I'd get this. Uh, my dad used to have this glossy paper for the printer that we had at home. And, I'd find a, I'd load up like a match that I loved, or if I had a, if I had like a proper photo, then I'd use that. But in this case, I loaded up my favorite Kobashi match, which is the May 25th, 1992 Can-Ams versus um, Kobashi and Kikuchi. Um, still might be my favorite wrestling match, but uh, I loaded up a point in that at the end of the match, hit pause on VLC player, took a screen snap, printed it out on the glossy paper, and I was going to get that signed by Kobashi. That was what I decided was my, that was going to be my thing. And I actually, I think I had another, which was um, 
from the return match six months earlier in Budokan Hall. So those are my two things. And uh, I had things for everyone. I had a thing for Kenta. I had a thing printed out for Danielson. I had all these things printed out in my little folder. I'd have my, I'd have, I'd go on these trips, Jamesy, oh. and have my two little folders. I'd have my folder of all my, my boarding pass printed out, my hotel information printing out, all things that I just don't even think about anymore. I leave to Sarah, or I'll be like, <laughs> oh, I'll be on a phone somewhere. I can shove an email in someone's face. Or... Different times, yeah. <laughs> but back then, oh, I was leaving nothing to chance. I'd be printing out two copies of everything. I'd have it in the folder, very organized. Um, but I'd also have my folder of like all the things I wanted to get signed. Um, so I was, I was very organized at these meet and greets. And uh, but I wasn't so organized. And oh Jesus, if Sarah wasn't gone to bed, if she was down here now, she'd absolutely howl and call me an idiot, and then probably leave the room and go to bed. I was organized in that way, as I just described. But I wasn't organized to think to have a bit of cash in the pocket, you know, I'd have had my day mapped out in terms of I'll need two pounds fifty for a sandwich. I'll need this much for the train fare. I'll need this much of my hotel pre-booked. So I don't need anything there. And I'd have literally not a coin in my pocket. <laughs> Just a complete idiot, you know. I, I probably brought over some cash and had it in a bag that I like left in the hotel or something like that. But I wouldn't break because like I don't drink, so like I wasn't going to be getting drinks at the shows. I might get myself some water. Like I didn't envision any expense. Yeah. Okay. Like completely not like thinking. Okay, I'm in a, a foreign country. There could be an emergency. I could need to uh, get some emergency transport. Nothing like that was entering my stupid naive mind. <laughs> I had no money on me, and I'm queuing for Kabashi. And then I see that unlike with the other queues, uh, there is a, a, um, a most uh, some of them like Misawa would have like a uh, a young boy like a Wade Fitzgerald or a Mark Haskins or whoever um, working beside them, um, uh, helping take photos or just getting the mentin they needed or or whatever the case may be. But in Kobashi's queue, whoever it was. Um, Joe Redden, for the sake of argument, had a giant stack of these Kobashi foam, purple foam chopping hands that they were selling. <laughs> giant ones. <laughs> giant ones. And they'd made specially for the thing, probably a Mark Sloan thing as well, which credit to him. Great idea. And even though you'd paid um, for your meet and greet ticket, they were, when people got to the top of the queue, they were invited. I don't think there was any pressure being put on anyone to buy the the chopping thing. But I think Kobashi took it as you had to buy the thing to get the photo or whatever. I don't think he because <laughs> because basically everyone was buying it. And I was looking. You couldn't say no to Kobashi, you know. Really, I was looking up the queue and I was like, oh my god, everyone's buying one of these. I have no money. And I was looking for my <laughs> my, my buddy. I, I don't know if if my buddy Dune was with me in the queue. I can't remember. Maybe he didn't have any cash either. Maybe I just didn't want to ask him. But I was like, I was like, oh shit, I don't have five pounds to buy one of these. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting preemptively mortified because I'm like, oh god, I'm gonna have to say no to Kobashi, and I'm also like, oh, I'd love one of those chopping hands. Why don't I have a fiver? This is ridiculous. Lesson learned. But um, anyway, I get up to Mr. Kobashi, and I immediately whisk out my folder, and 
I'm shaking his hand and I'm, he's smiling and he's so nice and so warm and receptive. Radiant, wasn't he? And Such a lovely man, yeah. Before he can even, because he had been like, with a lot of people, I had been studying it, like with a lot of the people going up to them, like he'd take the foam hand and he'd put his hand in it and show them that it was like a chop and he'd, he'd trans, like he really, and this is something you really see when you go over to Japan and you go to shows over there. They really put the hustle down at the merch table. Like, oh, oh, it's absolutely fantastic. They got really go the extra mile. They'll, oh, like you'd have like the big Japan guys. We bought we bought these big Japan socks. Like if if we were mulling it over at all, I swear, like Okabashi probably would have put the socks on and modeled them for us and uh, and like power slammed the young boy just to show us that the socks give you power or whatever it might be. But um. So Kabashi of this mentality was like selling the the chopping hands. But before he even got to to me, I had whisked out the folder and I had whisked out the picture of this match from 1992. And as soon as I showed it to him, the man completely lost track of chopping hands, lost track of his surroundings, lost track of other people being around. There was just him. And this photo, which he had grabbed out of my hands and he was holding in his hands and staring at it intently. <laughs> and I was again. like, I was like, look at that. And I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is cool. And uh, I was like waiting for the reaction. Then I was kind of like, it wasn't coming. He was just still staring at it. And I was like, yeah, uh, you and Kikuchi, uh, Furnace Crawford. And he was like, oh, Sendai. <laughs> Dog furnace, very strong. <laughs> and I was like, yes, great drop kick, great drop kick, great hurricanrana, dog furnace. And uh, Kawashi was smiling and nodding. He was so happy. He was made up. And I oh, was delighted to sign it for me. And then I showed him the Budokan one as well. And he was less fussed about that, to be honest. I just returned from cancer, big deal. I had signed that as well. And then he shook my hand a couple more times and he bowed to me. And he gave me a big smile. We got a photo. Oh, I, I can picture the photo right now as I'm thinking about it. Um, I'll send it to you, Jamesy, if you want to throw it into yeah, like if, I don't know if there's a forum posting or anything that you you'd be putting this up with there. If there's any kind of accompaniment that you want to Brilliant. use, yeah, 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 feel free. But I'll send the, the the picture that I got signed from as well. Um, but yeah, he was so entrenched, and like then I just went on then happy out day made. Um, little sad I'd get the chopping hand, but you know what? I was delighted with my haul and what I'd gotten. Everyone does meet and greets, even though I might not have had the 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 good um, foresight to have a bit of change in the pocket or those kind of common sense things that a uh, 23 year old at that time should, or 22 year old should have and, and should know about. Uh, I, I still made it at every one of those meet and greets with a folder full of treasures that I was delighted with and smiling from ear to ear and, and, and great times, whether it was the Noah ones or the Dragon Gate ones. Um, it was always just, yeah, it was, loved those and can't thank Mark Sloan enough for, yeah, for organizing. Yeah. They were a real cherry on top. Cause I mean, when you're, when you're going over from Ireland, like, like the show is great and the show is a novelty in and of itself. Um, and you're you're heading back with memories, but I mean to be able to sit on the airplane. And it wasn't like we were like I'd be doing my trips now for WrestleMania and stuff, where I'd go over and see ten shows, twelve shows. Same when I go to Japan, and there's all this stuff like all this wrestling stuff um, that you you get out of the trip, you know. But like a lot of these trips, like you'd be going over and it'd be just be for one show, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. And 
to be able to sit on the plane coming back and have a bunch of the mementos to go through a, a load of photos a load of signatures like all this kind of stuff that you could look at and this is kind of still like mid-2000s we didn't have all the distractions we have now where we don't have like i'd actually have the time like a week from that day to sit out and pull out my folder and go through all the things again and look at the little program that Mark Stone had done up and read through that again. You know, you had the time to kind of yeah, give that yeah. stuff some, it was, it was a really great accompaniment to those things. And like, I still have all that stuff up in folders in, in our spare yeah, room. Same as, yeah, yeah. Like if I, you know, if I didn't have a million things, if I decided I'm giving up on current wrestling someday and I don't replace it with anything else uh, and I have a load of free time, yeah, I'll have all that stuff to go through again. From time to time, I still dig stuff out and look at it. It's always, always nice to see. So there's a very long form uh, answer for you, James. You got me going. No, that's what I wanted. I, I, I couldn't deny the BW listeners that story. That's my favorite wrestling anecdote of all time from any wrestler, any fan. And I feel privileged that I was because, as you said, I didn't know you from Adam. But I remember my my my, my now wife, when she was my girlfriend, was with me at the time. And we stood kind of two people. It was, there was one other person between us and you. And I remember just standing there going. That guy is so enthusiastic, and look how happy this is making him. And look at this, this, this lovely moment unfold in front of me. And it's like that alone made the trip. Like we haven't even talked about the bloody matches. We're meant to be talking about fucking wrestling matches here. Like and <laughs> what we're talking about is moments, but it's all part of it, isn't that? And like, and I mean, as you said, those those trips like are some of my favorite memories of wrestling. Is is you know like we're, we're spoiled these days with the shows we get to go to, even in Dublin. You know what I mean? But in those days, it took a bit of work, it took a bit of traveling, but it was definitely worth it for the memories you know oh, absolutely absolutely and yeah let's just briefly mention the matches that were on this show and we'll kind of have to move on there so the, the two matches that made the list were the eddie edwards and brian danielson tag team against taiji ishimori and kenta and then the main event of kenta kobashi and go shiyazaki versus mitsuharu misau and naomichi marafuji and again i think two very solid matches i'd say alan i, I don't think they ever threatened the top of the list but two matches that definitely deserve inclusion yeah, um, two very different matches. Like you had your super athletic, um, state-of-the-art tag match with the Noah Junior. And in the mid two thousands, um, the Noah Junior tag scene was like it was one of the. I'll use that phrase again. Fillet steak. It was one of the the real top tier things in terms of wrestling quality that people would uh, would point to. Um, like. Kenta Nishimori, uh, Kenta and Marufuji, Kanemaru Sugira, um, all these great teams uh, that you had during that period. And and uh, maybe here with the Danielson and Eddie Edwards, not like a super renowned tag team in terms of that division, but two very much Noah guys. And Danielson had had his feud with Kenta and ROH, which would have been a, such a big deal to every fan that was there at this show. Um, Danielson was a huge star. Having him in the match helped a ton. And you just really got to see that great Noah Jr. tag style on display in a big way in this match. Um, the main event, though, was all about the aura. And Absolutely. Yeah. This is probably like belt bell work rate athleticism, like one of the weaker matches on the, sh- on the list. Yeah. But yeah. like... Ultimate Warrior uh, versus Randy Savage. It had something else about it, which is more important than anything else in a match. And that was just the aura of the guys and how they connected with the crowd. And 
just the charisma on display from like I was just entranced by these men Kobashi and Masawa in this match and anything they did in this match was just amazing and I'll never forget for the life of me Kobashi's corner chops on Masawa in the corner <laughs> culminating in that one big spinning chop Oh, as I knock my headphones off, getting too excited thinking about the chops. <laughs> Are you doing chops in the air, Alan? I, I wasn't doing chops. I wasn't. <laughs> I swear to God, I wasn't doing chops. But uh, the uh, yeah, it, it was it was amazing, and uh, it was just such a privilege seeing those guys. And I believe the second last time they were ever in a ring together. Wow, isn't that something to say you witnessed? Incredible. Sure the, 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 my memory of that match more than anything is is just Masawa's music hitting. Like, uh, you know, I, I'd been listening to this music for years. Like, you, you're of the same vintage as I, Alan, where, like, for a long time, all we had was really bad quality VHS tapes where the, the sound would be going all over the place and you could just about make out the sounds of Spartan X when Masawa was coming to the ring. And here we were sitting in a in, in a in a venue in Coventry with Spartan X belting around us, the whole place doing the mis- Like, I got to chant for Mitsuharu Misawa. Like, that's that's just the most incredible thing to be able to say. You know, and you talk to younger wrestling fans now, and you, when you tell them you saw Kobashi and Misawa in the same ring, they just they just can't believe that, the, you know, these things that we got to see back in those days. You know what I mean? So great times, great memories. And again, just so happy that you got that show on the list because just even talking about it there to you has just brought so many memories back of a, of a, a great time in my fandom, as uh, in my wrestling fandom. Um. So, yeah, um, and the final kind of period, I suppose, and it's the one that's best represented in the poll is is what I would term the boom period. You know, the, basically the, the last five years, really, you know what I mean, where all these promotions had sprung up in the UK. We suddenly had an explosion of talent. Um, and, you know, as I said, the, it's, the young... the, it's the meat of the list. Like, there's absolutely. Yeah, I think there's 26 matches in total on this list from between 2015 and 2018. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that'll tell you, like, pretty much half the list is just in the space of four years there, like, uh, up to last year, you know? Uh, 13 matches in progress, seven from Rev Pro, four from other UK independents. Um, so, yeah, just, as I said, this, like, people call it the boom, uh, and people might question that, but when you look at your list, like, it's hard to argue against it, you know? It makes and, sense. Um, I mean, this, the standard of performer that we were seeing over here on a regular basis just shot through the roof. The homegrown guys were were had gotten so good and were better than they have been in generations. Um, the the atmosphere as it shows just got started hitting higher levels and it, just, it was a perfect storm and um, just wrestling worldwide. Like I think if you look at wrestling worldwide in terms of match quality these last few years have been the best ever, I think, in every part of the world. Well, maybe not the US, but uh, um, Japan for sure. And <laughs> yeah, we're seeing we're seeing such great wrestlers out there nowadays. And guys like Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. seeing these guys grow as performers and what they did in their younger years and what they're continuing to do now. We obviously don't see them on UK soil a ton nowadays, but uh, who knows? Maybe... Uh, a week from now, we'll be seeing uh, Zach throw a, a, a match up that should have made this uh, 50. But um, there yeah, you it's, go. Uh, it's um, it's not surprising. I think when you, when you think about it, and like I still felt that like as I was putting together the list, like I'm still like anticipating that like 
I wasn't doing these promotions justice. Like the progress fans might think I don't have enough progress on here. Or Rev Pro fans might think I don't have enough Rev Pro. Or Fight Club Pro, Pro fans certainly may say I don't have enough Fight Club Pro with uh, just the one match. The but, one, yeah. Um, I I do feel that uh, I went back and watched. Ever, trust me. It was painstaking at times because that progress uh, on demand for going back watching old stuff, it does not make it easy. I don't know what it is about. I tried like I tried multiple devices. I've tried different locations in terms of not just my house. For whatever reason, the old progress stuff on Pivot Chair is super glitchy and like real herky jerky at times uh it's not as good as the, i don't know if it's a case of like the pivot chair people just dedicating less like maybe i don't i'm not an expert in this stuff but maybe they're able to dedicate more server speed to newer stuff and older stuff gets like a lower priority setting or something on the on the server i don't know how it would work but it was a clear thing that i like that i would not recommend people I like I would not say to people, hey, progress of this deadly back archive, you should sign up with the goal of watching through all their back archive because until that gets sorted out or put on a different platform perhaps, although I don't know how that would work with the music, but um it's it's not very watchable, not very user friendly. Right. Okay. But I trawled through it nonetheless to and there was a bunch of matches that I had to like restart and rewatch a couple of times just because it just got so messed up at, at points. Uh, I was having real issues with it. But Rev Pro, not issues in that way. Um, but the issue I was having is that uh, as anyone who watches Rev Pro knows, the production quality ain't too great. Mm-hmm. Real bouncy camera work. Um, just yeah, just not great production in terms of the Rev Pro. And when you're when you're watching a show here or there, it's okay. But when like I was like, what I did was like, I got my progress subscription and I, I binged on progress for a month. And then the following month it was all rev pro. And, um, when you're watching that much bouncy rev pro camera work in a short space of time, geez, you'd have some headaches after it. You're <laughs> <But laughs> getting seasick. You're getting seasick, but the matches were really good. And I was, I was able to, um, I was able to for sure gauge the the quality of of the best stuff and see kind of how it fared against other things. So um yeah, it was uh it was um oh and yeah, a lot of Glenn Joseph shouting at me. God bless Glenn, <laughs> former guest on my show. Nice guy, but yeah, I I I'm I'm in no hurry to watch any current progress at the moment because <laughs> at month i think it was may oh jesus glenn was shouting at me a lot in may <laughs> maybe give the progress a bit of a bit of a break now for the rest yeah, of the my year, tv huh? my tv speakers took a battering <laughs> well i have to say alan like in terms of like that must have been that short period must have been very intimidating in terms of the volume of stuff that was there for you like and having like, to look, luckily out. i've kept good I've kept good records over the like the, the, the easy thing. Yeah. yeah, the easy thing about the current stuff is that I I've kept records from over those years of literally every match that I would say I liked and above. So yeah. like anything that I didn't keep record of, I wasn't thinking was likely going to uh, 
threat in the top 50 of all time. So just by going through my own records, I I had a pretty hefty list to get through. And uh, yeah, I uh, I saw some matches that um, maybe I loved at the time that I thought might have been candidates for really super high placing on the list that fell back a bit. Um, an example would be Will Ospreay, Mark Haskins which is one of the only UK matches that I gave five stars to at the actual time it happened. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it falls back a little bit on rewatch. But then another match, which I don't remember. I remember liking and enjoying, but I don't remember thinking it was a classic. Um, on rewatch, it was Matt Riddle versus Shibata from Rev Pro. Oh, yeah. You had that very high. Yeah. I remember oh. when you showed me the list and said, is there anything you feel is super high? And like I, I was, uh, that was the match I kind of said, God, I'm surprised you've got that in the top 10, you know, of all the UK matches that had happened at the time. One of my favorite Shibata performances ever. And I didn't think that at the time when I watched it. Going back and watch, maybe it's because I hadn't seen Shibata wrestle in, yeah. in a couple <laughs> of years. Yeah. Absence <laughs> makes the heart grow stronger. Huh? Might, might have been, but no, it was, there was little things he was doing in this to get the most out of a inexperienced, raw, but highly um athletic and highly spectacular Matt Riddle. The thing Shabata was doing to get the most out of that situation, I, I had a lot of appreciation for I thought he did and it was a real great veteran performance from Shabata in that match. Yeah. And like just looking at the matches you've you've picked like I, I, I think you've you've hit the important ones like you you've, you've given Chris representation. The Chris Hero yeah. 2016 run of amazingness when yeah. he was tr- globe trotting back and forth between yeah, the, UK and the US. And Ishii, Shibata, Tommy End. You, you've got all the good ones there. Like you've represented the, the the big rivalries. I think in British wrestling, like I think you've got two two matches between Skrull and Osprey, and then a third one that involves AJ Styles in a triple threat. Yep. You've got a you've got the Zack Saber. I think you've got Zack Saber and Osprey. But a couple of Zack Saber and Osprey matches in there. Uh, you've got Saber and Walter. Delighted to see that great rivalry represented and really high up as well there. So, like to my mind, you've done a great job of, of picking important matches and, and picking, you know, representing the guys who we'll think back, like in twenty years' time when we look back on this scene, we're going to think about Osprey and Saber and Skrull and these guys. You know what I mean? And I feel like they're very well represented throughout the, the list. So yeah, like I can only take my hat off to you for the amount of work you put into this particular period, if nothing else. You know. And I didn't forget about Scotland, just in case any Scots are getting mad at me. I did watch some Scottish stuff. And, uh, did anything make the grade? By any nothing, nothing made the grade. Okay. But you tried. I, I tried. I tried to get stuff in there. It just wasn't happening, guys. I'm sorry. There you go. <laughs> it just wasn't happening. You gave them every chance. I'm just I'm delighted to see you did manage to get an OTT match on the list, which people might find strange. But of course, there was a great match between Jordan Devlin and Scotty Davis in Belfast there in the end of last year. So yeah. brilliant match. Delighted to see it on the list as well there. So, yeah, yeah. as I said, the net was spread far and wide and We're no not. province, no province was forgotten or territory in the UK. Jamesy, we won't get into politics here, but for no. the purpose of the list. Northern Ireland, Ooh. Belfast. It was counted as UK soil, and uh, uh, yeah, it uh, that, and it, plus it was a, a nice way to shoehorn in a bit of OTT in there. there but uh, hey, it's it's an incredible match if you've never seen it, guys. Just exactly, it's amazing. It, it yeah. might seem it might seem like one where you're like top fifty matches ever in the UK. Jordan Devlin versus Scotty Davis, even 
my wife who was at that match she was there live i wasn't at that show live she traveled up for a night i stayed at home but uh um when i was like reading the list down to her she was like really what and i was like yeah it, it well, definitely it's, yeah, like yeah. i don't think it uh I, I think it holds head and shoulders with the other matches around it on the list so absolutely and like in fairness alan if you'd included the republic of ireland let's be honest we'd have we'd have had about three or four in the top 10 alone we'd have only been making the brits look bad like the probably like that was one of the main reasons to not have ott in this for me (laughs) i didn't want to get accused of bias because like ott in terms of high-end stuff like what OTT have done in the last couple of years, like there's maybe five or six matches that Jesus would have done very well on this list. Yeah, yeah. you think back to the last, even even the Devil and Walter starting alone, you'd have three or four there that, that would be yep. threatening your top twenty, surely. Like, yeah. But anyway, that's enough backslapping of our own Irish, uh, Alan. We're, we're, we're only we're only making the Brits annoyed now by talking about that on on their podcast. It's not our podcast; it's theirs. <laughs> I, I threw I threw in a nice British accent earlier. Now you did, you did indeed. Yeah, uh, I was thinking we should do this in Irish, but then that wouldn't that wouldn't really have suited the Brits oh, at Jesus, all. Like, if I, I, I'd have a better chance doing it in Scouse. To be honest. <laughs> very good. I suppose to, to finish off the podcast, Alan, we should just very briefly mention Fighting Spirit magazine. As we talked about, it's um, the very last issue of the magazine is currently on the shelves in all good news news agents. So. Um, if you just want to say a few words about your time writing for them, what you think Fighting Spirit magazine meant to the British scene, and maybe do they have a legacy that it leaves behind? I'm I'm so proud of of the magazine, the work I did in the magazine, but more so the work that Brian did and what the magazine has represented um, over the years. I think it's given a platform to great wrestling and exposing great wrestling from the past and the present to fans who let's face it when you walk into Eason's and you see a magazine staring you in the face or WH Smith um, to have some of the things inside those pages that we were able to get in there and be just at arm's length for like the casual fan if they were so inclined to go into a shop and pick up a magazine and to have an article about Tomohiro Ishii to have an article like one of my favorite things I got to do for the magazine was writing about the history of Michinoku Pro, um, oh, yeah. something like that. To get some of that in the magazine, and oh, like just honored to be able to do that. Get to talk to some like the great Sasuke for an article like that. Like, wow. how cool is that? And um, uh, things like that, like profiling young up and comers, like getting to do a, a one to watch on Michael May just a few months ago was really gratifying. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, things like that, like seeing how when we did that for Michael and we did uh, one for LJ Cleary a couple of months prior, seeing how excited and how made up those guys were to be able to, to have to be in a magazine and featured in a magazine. And that's really cool to do that. But like someone like Ricochet or Generico, people like that, who we wrote about when they were indie guys, you know, and talked about how awesome they were. And then I think it's extremely fitting that the, the last cover person on the magazine was Ricochet. And he went from being someone that we wrote about in 2013, 2015, something like that. Um, to now being like someone who 
could be put on the cover of the magazine because hey they're on tv and they're whatever you say about WWE it's like it's the peak of the profession currently in terms of notoriety certainly so um yeah it's uh it, it it's certainly rewarding to know that um we were picking the right people I think throughout in terms of who to cover for this magazine and and being able to to do great things and people like and the amount of great writers with great stories that, like people like John Lister what he was able yeah. to do for the world of sport era like I have so many back issues of the magazine with um so many of John's articles that I still have to read like I've read so many of them but there's many others I still need to get to and and now with the magazine going away I'll I'll probably get a chance to catch up on some of those and I'm really looking forward to because like literally every single old time world of sport guy that, that John showcased. Like I learned something I was enamored with just always great bits of writing with great stories. And I'm looking forward to reading even more of them. Um, Naylor's columns. You talked about me being excited, enthusiastic <laughs> uh, wrestling fan for me. Like when I think the most excited, enthusiastic wrestling people, I think Naylor. And I think that always shone true in his columns. Um, used to have stone cold writing for the magazine which was cool um and uh um i'll say this with hushed tones of the day that's in it uh, jim Cornette. um and if you're a fan he of has uh, his moments. he has his moments where he can be polite and put his thoughts calmly down in print rather than ranting on twitter yeah for sure so um uh yeah there's an eclectic amount of, of things in the magazine i think it always covered wwe fairly um it always gave them the spotlight they were always to cover um, up until these last couple of months where uh, Dean Ambrose and Jericho kind of got on the cover representing AEW. Um, but it was always WWE. I think in some, some earlier issues there might have been some UFC covers, but it was pretty much always WWE that would be like the cover story. And um, yeah, like uh, I think it was always covered critically by the magazine and they were held accountable for the products they put out there and it wasn't treated like oh it's the best product so or it's the top product so it's the best product no like i mean brian had joe lanza reviewing all the pay-per-views for the last few months joe lanza was the WWE pay-per-view reviewer and like no one's gonna be no one's gonna uh pull less punches than joe when it comes to um uh, did I say that right? You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, Joe, yeah, Joe is going to yeah. say it like he feels. He's not going to sugarcoat yeah, anything. And when it comes yeah. to be, you're going to get a, a fair representation when you have a guy like him writing for the magazine. And then with the feature articles, people like Michael Campbell, people um, like uh, Justin Henry's great writers who do great jobs throughout the, throughout the years. And Will Cooling, of course, learned so much Will about like, the, the previous guest of the show. Yeah. Yeah. The, British um, television landscape and and things like boxing and UFC and how they would interact within the the overall landscape of WWE. Uh, like Will wrote some tremendous articles over the years f- from that uh, point of view. Um, yeah, just so much great stuff in the magazine over the years. I really feel it's got a super positive legacy and it achieved that in a time and a climate where really it had no right to because print media is a struggling to say the least medium and um, to have hung on 
for as long as it did is a testament to the graft of Brian and the passion of Brian for for what he was doing with that magazine. And I thank him absolutely uh, unequivocally for having me on board. Um, I actually got uh, brought on to write a Dragon Gate article when they were coming over uh, for one of their UK shows. Uh, I don't know if it was the first one or um, I think it was maybe the the 2009 one. but yeah, it was the previous editor, or maybe two editors prior to Brian that brought me on to do that. And then when Brian took over, he he asked me if I wanted to come aboard and write some stuff. And uh, I, I I think I'm one of only a, a small few that were there for pretty much his whole run for the guts of the last uh, seven, eight, nine years, whatever it's been. So uh, yeah, been an absolute pleasure and an honor to to do so and be a part of it. Yeah, and I saw Brian talking during the week saying like one of his main goals when producing the magazine was to kind of expose people to wrestling and to new wrestling and maybe to wrestlers they may not have been familiar with. And I really feel like it's so appropriate and suitable that this list was your final contribution to the magazine, like because you have a list here that, you know, this and the Dragon Gate Kobe World Review, which is also very suitable. I think yeah, uh, when you yeah. think of how I when you think of how I started with doing a Dragon Gate article. As there well. you go. Yeah. But but in terms <laughs> of like people will look at this list and they will be exposed to new people. They're going to look at this list and hopefully they will listen to this podcast and they'll kind of be curious about a Terry Rudge or a Steve Vade or a Rollerball Rocco and maybe go onto YouTube and look up that wrestling, you know? So it's, it's kind of, it, it, that's, that's, that's your legacy to this magazine, you know, or even a younger fan who's maybe only started watching new Japan, say in the last few years, and he never even knew that Shingo Takagi wrestled in the UK, you know, they can go back and hunt down those matches now and, you know, um, take the pleasure that you did in those matches, you know what I mean? So I, I'm just really glad that you got the chance to produce something like this in the final issue. Um, want to congratulate you on it and thank you for all your work on it, you know, to produce such a list for us to kind of enjoy and look on to. Um, it's a really, really big achievement and it's something you should be really proud of. Oh, thanks, Jamesy, and thanks for being a sounding board for me on it. No, no problem at all. Uh, listen, thanks so much for coming on, Alan. Like this, I was talking to you before we went on the podcast. This is the first time I've been the guy doing the interviewing and asking the questions and you've made my job so easy i've just had to ask <laughs> questions and you know it's just it's been brilliant and like i i already i'm so proud of this podcast and everything we've done on it like it's it's been a pleasure for me to just to sit here and listen to you talk about resting like i've done for many years on all your podcasts so yeah just to say thanks so much for coming on thanks for your time um have you anything else you'd like to plug or anything else you need to kind of let people know about in the next I, while you said you had a podcast last night that you recorded or something yeah or? i'll have my uh, my weekly uh, Progress Paradise show over at PW Torch VIP will uh, drop. Um, uh, we'll see. Maybe it'll be tonight. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, and um, we'll have that. I'll uh, be on the my sleepers of the G1. Um, just some of the hidden gem matches that I that I had in there. Um, we'll be doing a, a show where I'll be uh, talking about what we just talked about with Jamesy, but I'll be taking some slightly different angles on it, um, trying to get Brian on for that. So we'll talk a bit more about the legacy of Fighting Spirit. That'll be the next show. And then uh, right before we go over to England for Royal Quest, I'll be looking to do a preview of that crazy Saturday that will be coming up on August 31st. So that's what's going on in Pro Rest Paradise. 
course, commentator for WXW, so World Tag Team Festival. I nearly said World Tag League, but World Tag Team Festival is coming up. Uh, World Timothy Thatcher Festival, that's the easy one to remember. Yes. That's coming up at the start of October. Looking forward to being over there in Oberhausen for that. And uh, really just keep an eye on Alan, uh, at Alan4L on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's where you'll get my thoughts and ramblings and anything you need to know will be uh, up there. So. Thank you so much, Jamesy. A pleasure to be on. No, it's my pleasure, Alan. And myself, Benno and Martin will be back every second Wednesday with our usual British wrestling experience. Um, But this is Jamesy saying thank you very much on behalf of Post Wrestling to Alan Forel and talk to you all soon. Thanks a million. Bye.